Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we ask that you turn our hearts and minds to your voice. We ask that you take every burden and distraction from our, from our shoulders. And we ask that you speak to us, guide us, change us in this time, that we may grow as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. As we continue through the season of Lent, uh, our passage today is the lectionary gospel passage for this week. So a lot of our sisters and brothers around the world are actually reading the same gospel passage. And I'll be honest, it's not one that I gravitate to for reflection and devotions, but such is the, uh, the good thing about the lectionary. It challenges you. It makes you look at these tough passages. But all the same, it's still, it still kind of involves some common human sentiment. And as we, in our passage, we, we see people want to get Jesus' take on a tragedy that has occurred. It's something we often ask questions about, sometimes we speculate about, and would love to figure out how to avoid, if at all possible. And Jesus probably doesn't give them the answer that they're looking for, but instead gives a response that calls one to consider their own lives and calls us as his followers to consider the state of our faithfulness. And we don't know exactly what they said to Jesus or even if they even asked him a question, but they mention a tragedy to him that Pilate had murdered some Galileans who were sacrificing, presumably in Jerusalem. And this may have been particularly relevant in their minds because Jesus is a Galilean. He's from Galilee. His closest friends are from Galilee. This may, this may be relevant. Maybe it could be a warning by association, but considering Jesus' response, it may also come from this common human sentiment. Maybe perhaps wondering why this happened. Or at least, at the very least, what does Jesus have to say about this? And it might be even all the more the case, because just before this, Jesus was, was talking to them about interpreting Oh, the times. He says, he was, he was as he was teaching the crowds, he says, you can interpret the weather. You can tell what weather is coming, but how is it that you can't interpret this season? And he's referring to the season of him coming as the Messiah and working miracles. And so maybe in light of that, they then want to get his take. Lord, then what about this? What does this mean? How are we to interpret this? And this is something that we still do. Maybe in our prayers, of course. And maybe all the more so in this day and age where we can, we can watch and monitor tragedies around the world in every region on this planet. Just by scrolling the news feed on the phone in our pockets. We can see tragedy near and far we want to know why. What does this mean? And all the more so because we overwhelmingly as humans gravitate to bad news. And this is likely, this likely comes from a place, from our survival instincts, you know. If 
something is bad or harmful, you tend to live a lot longer if you stay away from it. And so we key in on these things. So we see tragedy, and we want to make sense of it, because maybe if we make sense of it, maybe if we can have an answer, well, then maybe I can avoid it. So what are we to do with these things? What are we to do with everything we see on the news? War in Ukraine, two years of pandemic, an insurrection in the middle of it, coups, massacres, refugee crisis, the largest we've seen in decades, in addition to the ones that were already happening in multiple regions around the world, climate crisis, what does this mean? What are we to do? Well, Jesus immediately addresses a common misjudgment directly with regard to this tragedy, that, and that is blaming the victims, thinking they must have done something wrong. We can do this spiritually in their fate in terms of, well, perhaps they had it coming. And I've, unfortunately, I've heard too many preachers speculate as to what tragedy might mean in terms of God punishing people when we have nothing to indicate that. Or we might even do it in terms of physical cause and effect. Maybe, well, they should have known better. Maybe they should have been more prepared. They shouldn't have been there. Whatever the case, Jesus tells us flat out with regard to this tragedy, this didn't happen because they were more sinful than others. He even gives them another one. Do you think, this, uh, do you think the tower that fell on these 18... You think they were more sinful? And he says, I tell you, no. What then are we to do with this? What are we to do with these tragic episodes? And Jesus instead shifts the focus, not on the victims and not even on the tragedy itself so much. He turns the focus on those mentioning this to him and says, unless you repent, you too will perish. That doesn't sit very easy. That's really hard. That's one of those, those lines that I might have to read again. Did he just say that? Is he being insensitive? Is he dodging the issue? What's he, what's he saying? Well, it is consistent with his message from the beginning. He has come to call sinners to repentance because the kingdom of God is near. It's the message he, he's built on from, from John the Baptist who preached the same thing regarding Jesus. And in the previous chapter, he has a lot to say about being prepared for this kingdom. And so they bring him this tragedy. And instead of commenting on the tragedy, he shifts the focus to them. And so in light of his words, as we see these things, as they see these, this, they observe these things. They should not be trying to so much figure out why this happened to these people, but instead consider something else the tragedy speaks to. In this world marred by tragedy, it very much speaks to how fragile and uncertain life is. And then what do we do in light of that? Tragedies remind us all the more to consider that we will one day all face God who will judge us, and so we need to repent from our sins, or we will undergo judgment. And sometimes 
God may hand us over to our own devices, to our own self-destruction, as we continually go about doing things that are not things he would have us do. But Jesus also warns us that continued unrepentant sin results in God's judgment as spiritual death after this life. And so unless one repents, they too will perish. So what then is repentance? It's pretty important. When you look at Scripture, front to back, in, in, simple, in simple form, repentance can be described as turning from our sin and turning to God. Turning from our sin and turning to God. In fact, in, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew language, that, that the word used for repentance, in the more physical and literal sense, it means to turn or return. And that turning is to God. In the New Testament, written in the Greek language, the, the, it carries more the sense of, of, of changing one's mind. And this is more than just changing your order as you're checking out. This is a change in mindset, how you see things, how you view things, which translates to how you live differently. When we acknowledge our sins before God, God transforms us to see our sin and our world more like Him, more like He does. And that results in a new lifestyle of righteous living, which is living rightly, living the way that God would have us live. A life governed by love for Him and love for people. And love for him expressed through love for people. Loving our neighbor as ourselves, as Jesus tells us. Jesus drives the point of repentance home with this parable. A vineyard owner wants to cut down a fig tree that's not producing fruit. And the caretaker says, give it more time. Give it one more year. If it still doesn't bear fruit, then fine, cut it down. In the meantime, he will tend to the tree, give it what it needs. Now this parable, I don't believe this parable is a picture of Jesus keeping the Father at bay. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all very much involved in Jesus' work atoning for our sins. The focus is the tree. It's presenting this tree that's given time to bear fruit and resources to bear fruit. And fruit is continually used as, 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 as an illustration for faithfulness that comes with repentance. In fact, John the Baptist, before Jesus shows up, or, or before Jesus' ministry begins, John the Baptist preached, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. It all, and, and, and it speaks to the patience and the grace of God that gives us time and resources to change, the work of God in our lives that allows us to change, allows us to, to turn from our sins and turn to Him. But all the same, the opportunity will not always be there. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. We don't know when our lives will end and will be called to account. And so the time for bearing fruit is always now. 
The time to change is always now. The time to do things right, the time to do things God's way is always right now. The parable calls us, in light of tragedy, perhaps to consider the other side of the coin. Just as we cannot presume tragedy is a result of anyone's sin, neither can we presume that blessings mean that we are righteous. Maybe the blessings are intended for us to bear fruit. And to be sure, whatever is in our lives, whatever our blessings are, God very much wants to bear fruit through them. All the good things in our life come from God. And God very much wants to use our lives to bear fruit. So we need to consider, have we turned from our sin and turned to God? Have we turned to God believing and trusting in his son Jesus? Because doing so, turning to Jesus, coming to faith in Jesus, recognizing Jesus as Lord and Savior, requires that we acknowledge that we need saving. It requires that we acknowledge our sin and that God's way is better. And that starts the turning to him. And it leads to him changing our hearts as we connect to him more and more, which leads to fruit. Jesus describes this more directly in John 15. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And even more directly, he says later on, you, apart from me, you can do nothing. On our own, we can't bear fruit. We don't bear any fruit. We are barren trees on our own. You may have seen a few of these during the winter. You can look right through them see the nests that the birds left behind as they migrated. Because there's no fruit on them, there's no leaves on them. You can point to any number of things about the tree. How tall it is, how many branches it has, but it doesn't have any fruit. It's a tree, but there's no life. Not coming from its branches anyway, but in God's hands. In God's hands, we bear fruit. We can bear much fruit. And the church is intended to be a community with a bunch of his trees bearing fruit. It's why God often refers to or, or has referred to his people as, as like a vineyard. A fruit being ready to be cultivated. I'm not a gardener. But you can put the apples back up. But you don't have to be an expert to know somebody worked on these. There's fruit hanging off of them. And as little as I know about gardening, I do know that there's not a lot of good things that grow by accident. You know, except weeds. 
Weeds just pop up. You don't even have to try to grow weeds. But fruit requires cultivation, soil, you know, fertilizer, nutrients, whatever. All of that. All the resources needed to bear fruit, it comes from God. It requires intention and resources that come from God. And so we need to draw near to God if we want to grow. And so in the presence of tragedy, the question for us is not what it means for them. Why did this happen to them? As much as that question might be on our hearts, it, instead it's what does it mean for us? What does the to, to, to put it another way, what does the fruit of repentance look like and call us to in a world marred by tragedy? What does loving God and loving our neighbors near and far look like when tragedy has befallen them? That's the question worth asking. Lord, how do I respond to this? How do I pray for this? How do I give to this? How can I serve this person, these people? Lord, what is your heart? And how can I walk alongside you in this? Will this protect us from tragedy? No. You read the Gospels, Jesus is not very interested in tragedy-proofing our lives. Tragedy may still befall us, but to be sure, we serve a Lord who is not removed from our tragedy. We serve a Lord who left heaven to jump headfirst into our tragedy, into our world filled with tragedy, into the tragedy of us being separated from God by our sins. even as we destroyed ourselves doing things our way. And he did so to save us from it. Dying to atone for our sins and rising from the dead to give us the hope of eternal life. And so even though we may face tragedy, we find the ultimate security, the ultimate safety in God when we turn from our sins and turn to him through which we will bear fruit. Because even though tragedy may befall us, we, can, we are still safe knowing that no matter what happens, we get to be with God. Because of the work of Jesus, we get to live life with him now and bear fruit to a world plagued by tragedy, testifying to hope even in the midst of tragedy. The hope of life with God now as it was meant to be lived. Life as he intended it for each and every human being. And the hope of life with God into the life to come for all eternity. Let's continue worshiping our Lord.